We have been talking about what is faith for some time now. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to wrap up this series, What is Faith, by, by actually talking about a time when faith will no longer be needed. And while that sounds shocking, like, what do you mean faith no longer needed? That's exactly what will happen when we are in the presence of our Savior and God forever in heaven. Our faith becomes sight is what Scripture says. Because now we can't see. But one day we will be able to see face to face and faith will be no more. And that's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Over the past several weeks we've talked about how the fact that faith is a gift from God. Given to us and we have to receive it. Faith is also a decision that, 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 that we make to put our faith in, in Jesus. And when that happens, all these amazing things happen to us from, from darkness to light, from dead to alive, from wrath to love. All of these amazing things happen to us, sin-ridden, right, forgiven of all of our sins in that moment of salvation. But as we saw in Matthew chapter 25, right, faith is just more, belief is just more than a one-time, yes, Jesus is my Lord, because in Matthew chapter 25, we're told this story of some people who were very surprised when they got before their judge and then he said, depart from me. And they're like, but Lord, when did we see you all these things? When did we see you in need? When did we see you sick or in prison? And Jesus said, when, whenever you saw any one, the least of these, and you didn't do anything to help them, you chose not to do anything to help me. So faith is more than, than, than just a one-time verbal assent. It's more than crying uncle, crying out uncle to, a, to God in a moment of need or in pain. Last week, we talked about how saving faith is believing God enough to go. Using Abraham as an example, uh, believing God, you can't stay where you are. And have a saving faith. When God says, go, you go. But we also talked about how sometimes saving faith is waiting on God's perfect timing. And we saw where Abraham tried several times to speed up God's process. And how that failed miserably. Saving faith is is trusting God enough to wait for his perfect timing. Saving faith is trusting or is fearing God enough to give sacrificially. Abraham was about ready to give what was most precious to him because God said to do it. And for us, being willing to give at a sacrificial level because we know that God has us in the palm of his hands and will provide everything that we need. Saving, God, or saving faith is desiring God enough to pursue. Right? And it's, 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 a, it's a distance race. And, and we want to be in it for the long haul. And that's what we're talking about today in Colossians chapter 2. And saving faith is loving God enough to endure whatever life throws at us. If you have a faith that is only a belief of, about a, a set of facts about God and not a relationship with God, then you have the same faith that demons have, and it's no good to them, and it's no good to you. Some of us have this excellent grasp of doctrine, like we, we are Bible scholars, and we have this storehouse of, of facts and knowledge about God, but we haven't let that trickle down into all aspects of our lives. We know all about God, but we still are domineering jerks to our wives, the wives that Jesus said we're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. We, we have this, this core grasp about these attributes about who God is, but we end up treating our husband with no respect at all. We, 
We, we, we hold tight to the sovereignty of God, but we don't seem to care that our unbelieving neighbors are destined for eternity in hell without Jesus Christ as their Savior. We champion God as Father, but then dads, we don't show up when we need to. And, and, and we, we don't interact in an appropriate way with our children. We ignore the need, their need for a present and involved father or mother in their lives. Some of us have a doctrine that is so solid that we are gifted in seeing sin in the lives of others and ignore the sin that chains us. And that makes us hypocrites rather than people who are hyperactive for the kingdom of God. It makes us Pharisees, judgmental Pharisees, rather than empathetic neighbors and family members. It makes us Sadducees, who, who, who uh, rather than people who are eagerly awaiting the, the coming of the Savior again to claim his bride and take us home. It turns us into religious leaders and re- religious people who, who easily miss the greatest of all the commands, to love God and to love people with everything that we have. It turns us in to Christian atheists who may confess Jesus with their mouth but then turn around and live their life as if God doesn't exist at all. It turns us into people full of head knowledge, but people who are also paralyzed when Jesus himself says, go and make disciples. And it's this way because far too often we have locked into believing a truncated version of what it means to believe, of what it means to have faith. If what you believe about God doesn't make you move, doesn't make you wait on him at times, doesn't cause you to give sacrificially, doesn't make you pursue or endure, then your faith is dead. It's false. It's a lie. Real faith is a complicated thing. All at once, it's a gift from God. It's a decision we make, and it's a life that we live. And that's where we're going to dig in today is a life that we must live. Because in, in 2 Corinthians chapter three, 3, we see that we are being daily transformed into a more perfect image of Jesus Christ. Um, in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, we are called to work out our faith with fear and trembling. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, we're told to stand in the gospel by which we are being saved. All of those are different ways that Paul says the same thing that he's been saying to us for about a month now, actually, that he's been saying to us for several thousand years in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 as we read these words together. And this is only about the seventh time that we've read these verses together uh, in the last couple of months. Paul says, therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Those two verses beg the questions, how? How do we walk in Christ? What does that look like? How do I do that Monday through, through, through Friday or Sunday afternoon through Saturday evening? What does that look like? How, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to be rooted and built up in him? Right, what does it mean that, or how do we become established in faith? 
Well, church, every time that you open the Bible to study, whether that's at your kitchen table at home, on your back porch in the spring and summer, whether that's in a group, in a care group, or in a Bible study, or in here, context, context, context rules the day in determining what Scripture is saying to us. And don't, and I'm going to encourage you to do the hard work. When you are reading a section of Scripture, do the work yourself. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Don't immediately, even if you have a study Bible, don't immediately go to, to the footnotes at the bottom of the page. Okay? Let Wrestle with the Word. Okay? Let the Spirit interact with the Spirit and understanding. And when you do, right, here are a few guidelines to go along with. All right? So we're, trying, we're in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So to figure out, Miranda, what we're supposed to do and what this means to us, we, we, we start small and get bigger and bigger and bigger. If the verses, or, or maybe we're just looking at a phrase. If the phrase or a verse is part of a bigger, like, paragraph, right, start with that paragraph. Read the entire paragraph. Don't immediately just take a, a, a handful of words and run with them, right? Get bigger. Go to that paragraph. Maybe it's a part of an explanation in a sermon or a letter like we have right here. So read the entire chapter. And, and remember that the chapters and verses, they were just put in there later, Right? The Holy Spirit wasn't saying, all right, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 2. They were put there to help us navigate Scripture and remember and get buttons at Awana and all that type of stuff. Right? So re- start small, read the paragraph, read the chapter, read the speech, right? read the sermon, read the, read the letter, right? and, and continue to look. Okay, so, so now we're in Colossians, all of chapter 2. Right? Expand that to all of Colossians because it's all part of one letter written to a church in Colossae. Right? And then if we still don't have the answer to what we need, then go to other places where, where Paul, because that's who wrote Colossians, where Paul talked about the same thing. And, and what's he saying to other churches? Because Paul's not going to say, hey, this is how one church follows God and this is how another church follows God. No, this is we all follow God the same way. So look at what that same author says in other places. And then go to other letters. Right? See what Peter, see what John, see what James had to say uh, about that same topic. And then just take the whole New Testament. If you need to, go over in the Old Testament. Right? And then church. Right? And then go and see what other people have said about it. See what, see what your, 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 your study Bible notes say. See what maybe Matt Chandler said on it. Right? See what Google said on it. Right? But do the hard work first. And you will be surprised that in that process, how powerfully, how vividly the Holy Spirit can guide you and lead you into a deeper understanding. So so do the hard work. The cool thing about these two verses is we don't have to do that much legwork. This isn't a distance event right here. We don't have to venture too far because in the letter of Colossians. We get both the context, we get the commentary on what he's saying, and the application. So it's easy if you read these four, four chapters in this letter. Right? It's going to take you about 15 minutes. Right? Not very long at all. Right? And if you read these, these, these four chapters, you're going to fa- figure out that this church that Paul's writing to, they're doing some things pretty well. They're loving, great. They're serving, awesome. 
right? Their, their, their faith, yeah, it's pretty good. But Paul has some concerns because there's what he calls uh, in here uh, a, a movement that is taking place. In, in chapter 2 and verse 8, depending on the version, the translation that you're reading from, Paul refers to this as a hollow and deceptive philosophy or an empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And they haven't like followed this as far as some of the other churches that Paul has written to. But Paul is fearful that if they're not encouraged in their walk, that they're going to soon be deceived and chase after this other message that is being shared with them. In this, Paul is concerned about the stability of this assembly, of these Christians who meet together. But in this letter, you see Paul being more proactive rather than reactive. There are some letters where Paul's very reactive. Quit doing this. Stop. Flee. Here, he is much more preventive than corrective. Gentle because he's not wanting this church to get detoured. So in, but in this letter... <laughs> We get everything we need to understand what it means to walk in him. So with your Bibles open, right, let's just spend some time in this letter of Colossians. We started reading in, in verse number six. The very first word you read is therefore. Anytime you see that word in scripture, you need to stop because before you can read any further, you need to make sure you understand what was just said. Because he's saying, okay, now based off what I said, therefore do this. So before we can move into, into verse number six, we need to go back and see what Paul was talking about in, before that. In, in, in chapter one of, of Colossians, we see that after he identifies himself, he says, I'm thankful for you, I've been praying for you, and, and I want to encourage you, he jumps right to the preeminence of Christ. In, in verse number 15 of chapter one, check out these words. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in all things hold in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is above everything, and he did all the work for you. He transformed you. He brought you in. It's his righteousness that you have. And then Paul talks a little bit about how he has worked, and later in the book, how hard others have worked to bring this gospel to you. 
and how he desires them uh, to be encouraged, to be knit together in love, to, to, be, to reach the fullness and kindness, uh, to, to, not, to know the knowledge of God's mystery, which he tells us what that is. It's Christ, so that no one can delude us with plausible arguments to rejoice and to remain faithful in our faith. So then, with that knowledge of who Jesus is and all that have labored to bring it to us, then we can read. And Paul says, and because of all that, now, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we're just going to read because Paul does a beautiful job of explaining to us and giving us examples of what it means and what it looks like to walk in him. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits. Now, some, some versions of the Bible translate this, in my opinion, a little bit better than others, right? That, that elemental spirits, that's a little bit weird, Right? But this maybe instead of elemental spirits, maybe a better translation for us in our culture is principles, elemental principles of the world, what the world is telling us, how, what we should look like, how we should live, and of the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, Paul repeats himself, right? Paul repeats himself a lot. Paul also tries to wrap up a sermon about 17 times before he finally gets to the, to the end. Right? So when I go long, when I repeat myself, I'm just imitating Paul. Right? Paul here it sounds a whole lot like what he said back in chapter 1. Right? For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the power working, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. We are celebrating right now as a faith family, uh, and we are in, in, in two weeks, we're going to celebrate that God has pulled us out of um, uh, a debt, that we are now a debt-free church, and we celebrate that. But man, that pales in comparison to what we just read. That, that, that we, that God, he made us alive, having forgiven us our trespasses, canceling the record of our debt. The only way that debt was ever going to be repaid, not by my actions, but by Jesus's. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, there's an image for you. Your sins have been nailed to the cross. Quit trying to pull them off and take them back home with you. These, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, right? Who disarmed? He did. Who's he referring to? Jesus. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to, to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That should be freeing to you, church, because it tells you it's not your responsibility. Jesus will disarm those who disagree. 
Jesus will disarm those who, who stand opposed to him. Our job is to walk in him. In verse number 16, there's another therefore, right? And, and you can continue to, to read down through there. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you about holidays that you keep, about rituals that you do, because all of these things are a shadow or a foreshadowing of the real thing, Jesus. And you keep reading down through here. In verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. There's another weird word for us, right? Maybe the best way for us to translate that so that we understand it is false humility. There's these people who are coming in that say you got to look the part. you got to look good. you got to put up a good face, put up a good front, while inside you could just be rotting and tormented and, and, and dead. Paul's saying, don't listen to those guys who are saying, just act like you have it all together. He's saying, don't listen to those people who are saying, worship the angels. Now, the, the angels are just God's messengers. They are created beings, right? We are created beings. You know what else? We are God's messengers, right? But, but we don't cry out uh, uh, that for God. We don't cry out to angels. No, we call out to the creator of the angels, So don't listen to people who are telling you to to listen to other people or to worship other things other than the one true God. And you can go on down through chapter 2 and just read how to, how to, how to walk in Christ one right after another. And you get up to chapter 3 and then if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse number five, chapter three, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if a complaint, if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And wherever and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
And now it's like Paul knew that when this was going to be read in church, there would be some people whose minds starting to wander a little bit. Right? So Paul gets real specific, and he starts calling people out. He starts pointing directly at people and saying, this is for you too. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives uh, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your kids, right, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything, not just with lip service, not just with eye service, but from the heart, sincere heart. In verse number 23 of chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. You are serving Christ the Lord. Verse number 4, masters, take care of those who are underneath of you, because remember, you all have a master. Verse number 2 of chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You can go through the, the whole letter of Colossians, right, and you can just follow this flow of what it means to walk in Christ. Back where we started in chapter 2 and verse 6, after we were reminded about the preeminence of Jesus and the work of the faithful to bring it to us, that we, we are told that we must deepen our relationship, our intimacy with Christ in chapter 2 and verse 6. We're called to be grounded in him. We're called to be growing in him and grateful for him. In, in, in verse number eight, we're, we're called to denounce false teaching because it deceives, it denies Christ, it destroys the unity and mission of the church. In, in, in verses nine and 10, we're called to seek out faithful teaching because it edifies us and it exalts Jesus, our Savior. We, we're called to define our identity in Jesus Christ. He is where we should get who we are, not in the culture around us because Verse 11, he's the one who circumcised our hearts. Verses 12 and 13, he's the one who conquered death. Verse 13 and 14, he's the one that canceled our debt. Verses 5, verse 15, he's the one who condemned the enemy. And he is the one who confirmed our victory. So our identity should be solely in him. Our, our, our faith in Jesus releases us from shackles of who the world says our, what, what the world says our reputation should be. It, it, it releases us from the bondage of religion and allows us to pursue God faithfully. It, it, it releases us from the chains of regulations. And, and because it's not a list of rules, it's not a, 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 it's not a faith of rules, it's a faith of relationship. <coughs> our faith in Jesus uh, raises us to new life. It allows us to, to redirect our life's pursuits. It, it allows us to reshape our perspectives and allows us to redefine our purpose. In chapter 3 and verse 5, we're, we're told to cleanse ourselves of sinfulness, to put to death our sinful passions, to put off our sinful practices, to put down our sinful pride. And in exchange, we're told to clothe ourselves with a new set of clothes. We must put on spiritual clothes that in three, chapter 3, verse 12, accurately reflect our Savior. In verse 15, 
put on spiritual clothes that we can comfortably rest in our Savior. Put on spiritual clothes so we can gratefully rejoice in our Savior, verse 16. Put on spiritual clothes so we can actively run with and for our Savior. And I love how he wraps up. He's telling us that we have to, we must dedicate our homes to the Lord. To love the way that Jesus tells us to. To dwell in harmony. To display our hearts. And then we must pray for witnessing opportunities. Open the door. And we must pray for wisdom in those opportunities. Church, as we wrap up here a little bit, I, I, I just want us to, 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 I want to ask you a few questions. First, based off of that last comment, what are you praying for? How many of you would be, how many of you like me, might be just a little bit embarrassed if you shared your daily prayers with the rest of the faith family? Mine have a whole lot of gimme's in it. God, would you give me this? Would you give me that? God, would you help me here? Would you help me there? God, would you protect? God, would you do? There's a whole lot of me treating God like a vending machine. Insert a prayer, press the right button, and out comes the answer. How Do we seek after him in prayer for more and more of his gifts or for more and more of him? Do we desire more of his stuff or just being in his presence? Do we desire to pray for more of what he can give us or do we pray of how he can use us in his kingdom purposes? All right, there you have it. You, that is a speed course in Colossians. Right, you are all now biblical scholars when it comes to the book of Colossians. If you would like a certificate, let Jennifer know and we will get those printed up. Uh, might even get Ryan and Jacqueline to give you like a 10% off coupon for something at the bakery and coffee house. All right, congratulations, okay? You, you now know everything you need to know and how to walk in Christ. But church, all of that is completely worthless if it does not lead you to live a changed life. Your ascent of who Jesus is. You're, you're, you're saying, yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Me saying that is completely worthless if my life does not back it up. Right? Just knowing about Jesus right, does not save me. It's knowing him. And knowing him has to change our lives, has to change the way that we live and it's hard because, man, I wish that, that back when I was 12 years old in that time that I put my faith in Jesus, man, I wish that, that God just would have flipped the switch and, like, my life would have been, like, perfect from, from 12 to 51. Pretty safe telling you that it has not been perfect from 12 to 51. But, and it's been difficult. The key to us walking in him is not our own abilities, not our own stick to right? The key to us walking in him is the spirit. He's only mentioned with the capital S one time in this letter. He's alluded to several times. But the truth is that the spirit permeates every word that is written, not only in Colossians, but in this book. We cannot walk in Christ 
without, the, without also letting the Spirit dwell in us and guide us. This is a spirit that was promised to us way back in Ezekiel and, and before that. But I just was reading as part of my, day, my, my annual yearly reading plan, was reading through Ezekiel this last week. And this, this, these verses caught my, caught my eye. Right? They sound very much New Testament to me, Bert. Right? But Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, God says to the nation of Israel, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove, from, remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Man, I, if I didn't know better, I would think that some scribe or some translator put this in the Old Testament when it should have been back here in the New Testament. Because that sounds a whole lot like what Jesus promised is coming to us in, in John chapter 16, uh, that, that I, the, 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 or 14, that the helper is coming, the spirit of truth is coming. It's a whole lot like what he said in John chapter 16, where he said, it's better that I go so that the spirit can come, so that the helper can come. Right? Instead of just God beside you 24-7, right? it's going to be God inside you 24-7. This is, this is what dwells in us, what convicts us, what guides us, what explains Scripture to us, what discerns, what helps us discern, what enables us to walk with Jesus. He makes it possible for us to live a transformed life. And that's where we're going to land this plane next week, is talking about how the Spirit moves us to be able to walk as Christ. So, but today, I want you to wrestle with this question. Today, are you walking with Christ? Ask that question a different way. Has knowing Jesus changed your life? If knowing Jesus has not changed your life, you merely know about him. You don't know him. You read him on the pages of Scripture, but he has not, you have not allowed him to truly be in your heart if you know Jesus in a saving way, your life will be different. This morning, church, if you don't know him, know this, that Jesus will radically transform your life. He is, he, he, he is a much better Savior and King than you have been, than you are, and that you can ever hope to be. Put your faith in him. Accept him today. If you've been, if you, you feel this tapping on your shoulder, right, that, that's a spirit saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. And some of us, right, I pray all the time, God, we pray two before prayers, right? right? God, just make it obvious to me, like hit me with a two before right here so, there's, so, I, so I don't miss it. And today, if you don't know him, accept him today. Today, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is king, but your life does not look any differently than it did when you made that profession, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you with the same. Accept him. Maybe for the first time for real. Today, if your life has been transformed by Jesus, are you praying those prayers that we read at the end of the letter? Right? Are you praying for doors to be opened? And are you praying for wisdom that when the door is open, you can step through and you can answer each person and the questions that they have? 
when our time on earth is done, whether Jesus calls us home as an individual or whether we're around when we get to witness the the groom coming back to claim his bride, we have but two options for all eternity. In the presence of the one who died for us, who as we speak is preparing a place in heaven for us, or an eternity away from that Savior, in a place of gnashing of teeth, away from all that is good for all eternity. All of us in that room, right, we're similar, we're different in a lot of ways, we're similar in a lot of ways too. And we're similar in the fact that all of us are going to spend our eternity in one of those two environments. Eternity. Wherever you are this morning, I ask that you respond to the message that Paul gives us in Colossians, to lift high God and to walk in Christ. However you need to respond this morning, I pray that you do. Let's pray together.